Today, we start the tribulation period with the infamous four horsemen of the apocalypse. Writing about these four horsemen over 1,900 years ago, the scripture has caught the fear, the interest, and the imagination of many throughout history. The, they are the start of the apocalypse. The, it speaks of the darkness that there will be during this seven-year period of darkness upon the earth. It will be the worst time that this world will ever see. The riders of these different color horses speak of the evil of the last conqueror, of the last war, of the last economic crisis, and of death and the grave, which will happen during this time. The Bible says of this period that flesh becomes rare during this time. There are 8 billion people on planet Earth now. We just passed that number. 8 billion. There were 4 uh, billion well, there, it, it took, I think, in the early 1800s, it hit 1 billion. And from there, we've gone from early 1800s to today to 8 billion, and it'll be another 15 years or so that we will be at 9 billion. That's how quickly things are going, and yet this time will cause flesh to become rare on the earth. Now, these writers speak of the characteristics of what we call the tribulation period. That's what these writers are. It's not writers that come out and bring these first judgments. Uh, we, we, trip, uh, the book of the, the tribulation period can be divided into three different sections. The trumpet, uh, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. And they also get progressively worse throughout the tribulation period. The first seal judgment uh, that brings out the, 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 the first horseman, which characterizes certain parts of the tribulation period, the last seven years that this world would ever know. It is a time to bring in everlasting righteousness, is what Daniel chapter 9 says. Yes, it is a time to make an end of sin. Yes, it is a time of God's wrath. It's been stored up and God pours his wrath upon this earth. And when you think of God's wrath, don't think of an outburst of anger. Think of a righteous judge who is judging someone who has done something that is worthy of being judged for and he does it in wrath. That's God's wrath that will be poured on this world. They are the darkest days but it will lead to the most glorious days that this world will ever see. It begins with the worst days, but it ends with the best days that this world is ever going to see. Now, because these four horsemen usher in the tribulation period, we're in the last days. There are those believe that the four horsemen were released when John wrote this book and that it's been experienced throughout all of mankind. Well, that would be great, but it's going to be a lot worse than that. There's going to be that time that, that God will pour his wrath down. Daniel says of these days in Daniel 12, 1, at that time, Michael shall stand up. This is the archangel. Michael will stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. This is Daniel being spoken to. So Michael stands watch over the nation of Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble, the tribulation period such as never was since there was a nation, even to this time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. So God's going to deliver Israel through the tribulation period, the nation of Israel through the tribulation period. And everyone who is found written in that book, in the book. Not only Israel, but anybody who's written in the book. 
Jeremiah tells us of this tribulation period, Jeremiah 30, verse 7, Alas, for the day is great, so that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Just as in Daniel 12, 1, it said they will be delivered out of it. This is a time of Jacob's trouble, but he will be delivered out of it. But notice that Jeremiah 37 says, it is a time and there is none like it. Listen to what Jesus says about this time that the four horsemen usher in. Matthew 24, 21 and 22. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time. So it is, it is the worst time the world ever sees, nor ever shall be. So there'll never be another time that's as bad as these seven years. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days were shortened. The elect's sake is probably a reference to the election of Israel. It could be a reference to the election of Israel and all of those whose names are written in the book, as it said earlier. But the elect is often referenced as the nation of Israel. God has not abandoned Israel. God did not put them aside. God is keeping his promises to the nation. We are seeing that as God promised he would restore the nation of Israel, they are being restored. And they are going to be restored spiritually, but they are restored spiritually out of the great tribulation, the time of difficult. This is the 70th week of Daniel 27. In Daniel chapter 9, chapter 9, 27, in, in Daniel chapter 9, we're told of 70 weeks that are determined for the people of Israel to make an end of sin, to usher in righteousness. 70 weeks. And the context there is weeks of years, not weeks of days. Someone said to me one time when I told them that, well, you're just making things up now to make it fit. But um, we're not. Read it in context. They are in Babylon because they have not given the land rest, the weeks of years, for 490 years. So God puts them there for 70 years. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel has been calculating 70 years and realizes they are about to return. And so he begins to pray and seek God and repent for his people. And so he comes and gets a new vision of 70 more weeks of years, 483 years. Listen to what it says in Daniel 9, 47. Then he shall confirm, this is the Antichrist, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. This is in the middle of the tribulation period. We're going to get more of this because we see the abomination of desolation in the book of Revelation. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out to, uh, to the desolate. And so the Antichrist and during this tribulation period, there's going to be that abomination of desolation, which means the temple will be rebuilt. I don't know if the temple will be rebuilt before the tribulation period or after it begins, but it is going to be rebuilt. When you look at the temple mount and you see the dome of the rock there, there will be a temple. I don't know if it'll be exactly where the dome of the rock is, there is room to have a temple up there the size, of Solomon, uh, the size of even Herod's temple and the Dome of the Rock. But one thing for sure, just as Israel became a nation again, just as the other prophecies that have been foretold in Scripture have come true, there will be a temple up there again. It's one of the things that we are looking for. Now, these seven years will be a great time of darkness that will lead to a glorious light. 
The four horsemen are released and they represent the characteristics of the tribulation period. This will be the main characteristics of those times. So as Jesus takes the scroll from the one who sits on the throne, the Lamb of God, and opens up the first scroll, and he says to John, an angel says, come and see. And John goes and looks, and a horse rides out into the tribulation period. The second seal is torn, and another horse rides out into the tribulation period. The third is torn, the third horse rides out. The fourth is torn, and the fourth horse rides out. And these make up, the, again, the characteristics of the tribulation period. Now let's look at the first scroll being torn and the first of the four horsemen. These are four different colored horses. There is white, fiery red, black, and what's called pale, but it's really the, green, it's really the color of pale green. So these are kind of strange looking horses. Not just a red, red horse, but a fiery red horse. Verse 1, Revelation chapter 6. Now I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals. And I heard one of the living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. Now this has been misinterpreted as Jesus. And to some degree, understandably, because a cursory look at that and you would go, well, I remember that Jesus returns on a white horse. I remember that he has crowns. And so here's a man riding out on the white horse and he has a crown. But remember that the Antichrist is not the opposite of Christ, although he is in, in almost every way. He is a copy or an imitation of Christ himself. And Israel, when they see the, see the Antichrist, they're going to receive him as a Messiah. He is going to be the greatest politician of all time. He is going to be considered the leader of the West, of the old or the restored Roman Empire. And I don't know about you, but I think the world is looking for a really good politician. Because I don't know that there's really good politicians out there right now. If a good politician, a really good one, could come on the scene right now, he would be swept in. And this is going to be the Antichrist. The Bible tells us that he speaks well. He's given a great mouth, meaning that he, when he talks, people are captivated by it. They believe him. He promises peace. And he is accepted by many as being the Messiah. Now, Jesus returns on a white horse in Revelation 19. Remember, it's the Lamb of God that's opening the seal when the right white horse rides out. Very unlikely that it's Jesus, right? It's even more unlikely when you see Jesus returning and he returns on a white horse and he has on his head crowns. And the Greek word is diadens, which is the regular word for a crown that a king would wear. The word here for crown in verse 2 is stephanos in the Greek, which is a wreath that they would wear, that they would win at the games. So you would win whatever you did at the games and they would give you a wreath to wear. What, what is distinct about a wreath or a stephanos compared to a diadem in the Greek? A diadem is, is permanent, long lasting. A wreath is temporary. He has a temporary crown. This is not Christ. When Jesus returns, he has a sword dipped in the blood of his enemies. 
He has a bow in his hand, which represents his conquering. So we would say that this is the conqueror, or we could say deception. When the disciples asked Jesus, when will, what, when will these things take place and what will be the sign of your return? Jesus said, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. So we are to take heed. The very first thing, people are going to be deceived. A deceiver rides out into the tribulation period and it is a time of deception. No wonder Jesus said, take heed that you are not deceived. And I want to say to you that you have the responsibility to make sure that you are not deceived. You have that. I could give you the truth. We could give you the word of God. But oftentimes people will believe deceivers. Remember that uh, sin is deceptive. We, are, we can be self-deceived. Add on top of that some deceiver that's deceiving. And we want to come back and filter everything through the word of God. And, and that is the authority of what we believe. Now, I want to read you the return of Jesus in Revelation 19, 11 through 13. Now, I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and had a name written that only that, that no one except knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in the blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now, John, who wrote the book of John, wrote the book of Revelation, I believe. And in John 1, you have, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and this is the Word of God. Now, also, this is the one that we refer to, this, this one that came forward in the first two verses, is the one we refer to most often as the Antichrist. There's a lot of other names that he's given. The, the man of sin, he receives a wound, that, that is a, a fatal wound, but he survives that fatal wound. He causes people to worship him. He causes people to take a mark. And if they don't take the mark, they'll be killed. They can't buy or sell without the mark. Now, we're going to do a complete study on the Antichrist, where we go over everything that, that about him, because we're going to see him over and over again here in this book. From the beginning, moment it begins until the moment that it ends, the Antichrist is on the scene and he is in, in power. Listen to what Paul said to the Thessalonians. They had received a letter, a teaching that they were in the tribulation period. Every once in a while, because I look up things to do with the last days on, on my YouTube channel, every once in a while something will pop up that says, this is proof we are in the tribulation period. The only proof that I could see that we are in the tribulation period is that the Antichrist is on the scene. When someone tells me we're in the tribulation period right now, I say to them, where's the Antichrist? And don't tell me it's Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Don't tell me that. <laughs> By the way, that's going to date this teaching, right? Don't tell me that. Well, no, no, who the Antichrist is. So listen to what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and listen to how they thought they were in the tribulation. It says in verse one, now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back again. Do you know not only did the Bible tell us that he was going to return in several places? In the book of Thessalonians, every, in every chapter as it ends, it talks about the return of Christ. 
But Jesus himself said he was going to return. And all of our creeds, the Apostles' Creed, which is the earliest creed that we have, the Nicene Creed, which was in about, was 325 or so, every creed says, we believe that Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. He's going to return to this earth while people are still living, and he's going to judge the living and the dead. If you disagree with that, then you disagree with the creeds of the earliest Christians. You are breaking away from historical Christianity if you say, I do not believe that Jesus is returning to this earth while people are still alive. He is going to return. And whatever your theology is, it has to, be, it has to include the return of Christ. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord, Jesus Christ, and our gathering together to him. That's the word that I would like to use for the rapture instead of the rapture, the gathering, considering our gathering together with him. Remember the rapture, people being alive and caught up in the air to meet the Lord with the air and forever being with the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 4, is a smaller part of a larger event that we call the resurrection. The dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Whenever you believe that the resurrection is going to happen before or after the tribulation period, you believe that there's a rapture because what is God going to do with the people who are alive when he returns for his saints? He has to change some in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. That's why it so frustrates me when people say, there's not a rapture. There's no rapture. I've taken to just say, yes, there is. Because the Bible is so solid on it. And when you say there's no rapture, tell me why you think there's no rapture. Don't just say there's no, we sound, we sound like grade school kids. There's no rapture. Yes, there is. No, there isn't. Yes, there is. No, there isn't. Yes, there is. No, there isn't. The Bible speaks clearly of this. So he says, the gathering of ourselves to him, uh, that you would not be shaken in mind or troubled, this is, again, 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4, either by spirit or by word or by letter, if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. They thought they were in the tribulation period because somebody had told them they were. And so Paul's writing them now to show them how they know they're not in the tribulation period. He says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. I believe the falling away is an apostasy of Christians. Christians who serve God, who are no longer following him. And I believe we're seeing that today. There's a great falling away in our day. People who have let, wrote, wrote worship songs for us, wrote books, who did theology, are walking away from Christ in record numbers today. I think that's the falling away. And the only thing that has to happen first here is the falling away. The falling away will happen first. And then it says, and the man of sin is revealed. That's not connected to happening first. It's just when the tribulation period starts, the first thing that happens is the seal is torn and the Antichrist is on the scene. So if you think we're in the tribulation period now, then where is the Antichrist? The falling away has to happen first. Some believe that that falling away is a reference to the rapture or the catching up of the saints, the gathering of the saints to him. That's got to happen first. If so, it's strong evidence for a pre-tribulation rapture. Others believe it's a falling away in apostasy. So the Antichrist has to, has to be there and the man of sin revealed. And then he gives us some, some things about him. The son of perdition. The word perdition is waste. The only other person who was called a son of waste in the Bible was Judas. 
So he's the son of perdition. He has great, he has great talents and abilities and they all go to waste because he uses them as the person who opposes Christ. It says, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God and that is worshiped so that he sits, at, he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He will go into the newly rebuilt temple and he will set in the temple as God and that is part of the abomination of desolation. This is just an introduction to the Antichrist. As I said earlier, we're going to do a complete study on him. There's so much more to say about him. We'll learn a lot over, the over time. So the Antichrist is the first one to ride out on the scene. And he will be prevalent throughout the tribulation period. Then in verse 3, we have the second seal being broken. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. And an, a horse, fiery red, went out. And he was granted that one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. This is war. Now, Jesus returns and the war of our, the battle of Armageddon, he defeats and, uh, and, and brings an end to all war with the great war that's in Armageddon. So again, the Antichrist is like Christ. He shows up, war follows him, only this war is the devastating wars that happen during the tribulation period. There are 30 wars in the world today. Jesus said that there will be wars and rumors of wars, but don't let these things worry you because the end is not yet. Since 3,700 years before the time of Christ, until now, there have been thousands of wars. A war is considered to be something that where, two, where there's a, some kind of a conflict between two parties and over a thousand people die. That's considered to be a war. And when we think of this devastation of war today, we have a war today with one of the powers having nuclear weapons in, in Ukraine with Russia. And so far, there's been restraint from nuclear weapons, but I think that in this last days, there will not be. There have been two nuclear bombs dropped in the world so far. Compared to the nuclear weapons we have today, they are fractionally powerful, meaning the ones today are so much more powerful than the ones that were dropped in their day. The countries that have nuclear weapons, there are nine of them that we know of. Russia has 6,257. The United States has 5,550. It's very close. China has 350 available, and they're expanding. France has 290. The United Kingdom has 225. Pakistan has 165. India has 156. Israel has 90, although some suspect that they have far more than that. North Korea has between 40 and 50 available. So that war now is devastating. It was devastating at the end of World War II to those cities that those bombs were dropped on. But war now, today, could be devastating because of the incredible power. There's enough nuclear weapons to destroy the earth over and over and over again that man has created. It is a time unlike any other time in history. And no wonder, Jesus said, unless those days were shortened. I think he had to move up his time frame. He wants to wait longer so more people will get saved, but he has to move up the time frame because man's going to destroy himself. Maybe that destruction would be through nuclear weapons. 
Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 1 through 8. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to, uh, up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you see all of these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone will be upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now you can visit the Temple Mount today. We'll be there. Some of us from the church will be there in just what? The, the, the middle of March We're in, up into April. And we'll be up on the Temple Mount. And Jesus said, prophesied, there will not be one stone upon another. And there is not one of the temple stones up on top of that today. So he gives this, he's getting ready to give prophecy, but before he gives prophecy, he gives a down payment prophecy. He's like, I'm going to give you one that's going to come true fast so that you can believe the ones that I'm going to tell you are going to be later. And then it says, um, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Now there are Old Testament passages that talk about the return of the Messiah at the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. Right away, we're talking about the end of the age, don't be deceived. For, uh, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. So you see the Antichrist coming out first and then war. So Jesus says, don't be deceived. And you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. He says, see that these things don't trouble you for all these things must take place, come to pass. But the end is not yet for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. And all of these things are the beginning of sorrows. So that's the birth pains. Birth pains become more intense. And this final seven years will be the most intense of all. And I don't think we can even begin to comprehend the wars that will be fought during the tribulation period. Another prophecy in the Bible is that the Euphrates River is going to dry up. Do you know that the Euphrates River is drying up? That there are places where you can walk across the Euphrates River now. Back in the day, it was able to stop armies from crossing, but it says that it's going to open up for the armies of the east the Antichrist is head over the armies of the West are going to come and fight against him. So it's a time of great war and the Euphrates River dries up and it's dried up today. Now, verse five gives us the third horse that comes forth. The first is conquering deception. The, the second is war. The, the third, verse five, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature. Remember, there's four living creatures, right? The third living creature saying, come and see. Maybe John at this point is like, meh. So I looked and behold, a black horse. And one who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. Now, a denarius is a day's wage. A quart of wheat would be considered what a person eats in a day. So inflation, you're gonna, it's going to be at the point where someone has to have a day's wages to buy just the food that they eat for that day. Now we're not anywhere near that at all. But inflation hurts the poorest among us first and most. That's why this talks about the discrepancy between the rich and the poor. A denarius for wheat, a denarius for barley, but don't touch the oil and wine. Oil was used to light lamps. 
Those who were wealthy had access to oil and had access to wine. Those who were poor don't have enough food to feed themselves. There's a huge disparity today between the wealthy and the poor. And it's becoming greater. And in that day, in the tribulation period, it will be even greater. We're going to see an economic system that is called Mystery Babylon, by which the merchants of the earth have gotten rich, be destroyed. And they're going to stand and lament and mourn over the destruction of Mystery Babylon because they became rich by it. So the rich are going to be cast into poverty in the tribulation period during this time of destruction. But it's going to hit the poorest first. This is famine. Let's go back to the 8 billion people on planet Earth. What does it take to, to feed 8 billion people? How far away are we? By the way, a billion is a one with nine zeros behind it. How far away are we? A, a decade from 9 billion? 12 years, 13 years, they, they suggest? Till 9 billion? 9 billion more mouths to feed? If everything is clicking in the world, we could keep up. But if there's a hiccup, there will be greater famine than ever before. At the time of Christ, they believed there were 200 million people alive at the time of Christ. Eight billion today. We are one hiccup away from a great famine and the tribulation period will be that. The Bible has a lot to say about people who make money off of the back of the rich. You find it throughout the Old Testament, you find it in Proverbs, you find it in Psalms. That it is a wicked thing for someone to enrich themselves at the expense of someone else. That happens in spades in the tribulation period. And God will judge that economic system that brings that about. Today, there's a lot of talk about an economic reset. An economic reset is going to include digital currency. I'm not talking about Bitcoin or, or any of the other coins that are out there. I'm talking about United States digital currency. There's already the, the digital uh, yuan, China's money. They already have a digital coin. They're already rolling it out. Why should we fear a digital coin? What is it about cryptocurrency? It's programmable. You can program it. So if they can take your money and program it, then they can, so let's say they want to give stimulus. One of the problems with stimulus is you give it to people and people might hoard it. You want to give them stimulus checks so they go out and spend it to stimulate the economy, but they want to hoard it. So now you can give money to everybody as stimulus, but you could put a date on it. It's going to become void at this date. It's programmable money. You can only spend it on this. You can only spend it on that. So this economic system is going to be built on those kind of things, the technology of the new world. This is part of the Great Reset. This is what's coming. I think we are seeing these things today that are going to lead to famine. The black horse is not only famine, it's economic collapse. And basically, this is a day's wage for a day's worth of food, the necessities of our, of our expenses. This speaks, uh, again, of worldwide inflation and worldwide famine. With, uh, with famine comes malnutrition, and with malnutrition comes pestilence. This has happened in the great wars of the past. 
The, the, the Black Plague followed a war. The Spanish flu followed a war. One of the reasons they think the Spanish flu was so devastating, between 50 million and 100 million people died. This is 1917. This is because of World War I. And all of our, so all the soldiers were, were eating spam. They were all eating food that didn't have any nutrition. I'm not saying that spam doesn't have any nutrition. It just doesn't have what you need to have it as a steady diet. And so they were weak and their immune systems were weak. And it's one of the reasons the Spanish flu was so incredibly devastating. And so along with this inflation will come malnutrition, which will come pestilence and diseases that ravish I told you that the Bible has a lot to say about not making money on the back of the poor. Psalm 62.10 says, Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, don't set your heart on them. Jesus said, Don't put your treasure, uh, put your treasure in heaven, not here, where moth and rust can destroy. Well, we're not worried about moth and rust anymore. But you should be worried about inflation. And you should be worried about banks just closing down. And I'm, I'm not here to scare you tonight. I'm just saying we are in a day when literally there could be a banking crisis and like Enron in, in 2008 where we can't access any of our money at all. So 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in the uncertainty of riches but in the living God who gives all things richly. And it says, And be willing to share. Now, the third characteristic of the tribulation period is the economic collapse. Look at, uh, so, and, and we're going to see what that is. Now, here's the fourth. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living creature cry out, come and see. And I looked and behold, a pale horse. And this is the word for a, a pale green horse. So it's a horse that looks like it's dead. It's not just a pale horse. It looks like it's a dead horse. And the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades followed with him. Now, some believe Hades is a fifth horse that rides alongside of death, but it seems like this is a, just a symbol of Hades being the grave. Death is riding along, and the grave is right behind it, and, and people are dying and going into the grave. When we talk about the Antichrist conquering, war, and inflation, and pestilence, and all of the things that are going to happen, here's what it says about these four horsemen. It says, and power was given to them. This is all of them. Over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, war, with hunger, famine, with death, which could be all kinds of things that would cause the death, and by the beasts of the earth. So there's going to be these beasts of the earth which will start taking people's lives. Now, the, when we think of beast of the earth attacking, I don't know what you think of. I think of lions, tigers, and bears. Glad you said it. I didn't have to. But that's what I think of, right? But do you know that none of them fall into the top predators? I think the lion falls at number, I mean, excuse me, the tiger falls at number 10 as far as the things that kill people. You have, you have, Going back to number 10, you have like lions and then you have as, as the 10th, I'm counting down to one, which is the, the one that kills the most. So you've got, and I, and I meant to write it down, I don't have them in front of me, but you've got lions, elephants, hippopotamuses, crocodiles, a freshwater snail that people get parasites from and don't have the medical system in the world. 
to, to heal the parasites, a fly, a kissing bug, and all the way down until the first one, which is a mosquito. The creature which will kill most people and kill most people on planet Earth is a mosquito. Think about that the next time you slap one of those little guys on your arm. If there are, eight, there are 8 billion people on the earth today, we don't know whether this is going to happen in 15, 20, 30, 50 years, but today it would be 2 billion people dying. It is a devastating number of the power that is given to them. Okay, here I've got them. I did write them down. So here's the top 10. All right? Sharks. So I was, I was let me just, let me give you the correct ones, all right? Instead of off the top of my head, which is wrong. This is funny as I look at this list. Sharks, elephants, hippopotamuses. Tigers don't even make the list, by the way. Sharks, elephants, hippopotamuses, flies, kissing bugs, crocodiles, freshwater snails, dogs. The third animal that kills more people is dogs, including the African dog, hyenas, wolves, coyotes, dogs. Snakes are the second. We should have known that, right? I left snakes out. And finally, mosquitoes. At least I had the number one right. At least I had that right. So the four, the four final characteristics of these, these go throughout the time of the tribulation period. Death, economic collapse, war, and the Antichrist. But you remember the Antichrist's promises when he becomes the power. Peace. He is going to be like the Prince of Peace. But he ends up bringing all of these things that bring these very last days. Now, three things in closing. Number one, the Bible promises those in Christ will not face the tribulation period. This is really important. The Bible says in, in Revelation 3.10, to the faithful church, because you have kept my word and persevered, I will keep you from the hour of trial which is going to come upon the face of the whole earth. This is the same book that has the tribulation period in it. It's got the day that's going to come and test those who dwell on the earth. We don't dwell on the earth. We, we, are, we are citizens of heaven. Jesus said in Luke 21, pray, and he's talking about the tribulation period. He says, pray that you would be counted worthy to escape all these things and stand before the Son of Man. So when people say, well, Robert, you just want to escape. I'm like, yes. And I want you to escape as well. I just don't want to escape. I don't want to go be there during this time. But I don't want you to. The Bible says that we are not going to, to, to uh, that we, are, we have been saved from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, Romans 5.9. We have been saved from the wrath to come. The tribulation period is the wrath of the Lamb. We'll show you that in our next study. Right away from the beginning. I had a comment. Again, it's the comments that I just uh, drive me crazy. A comment on our YouTube channel where someone said, um, uh, the tribulation period is in the time of wrath. And so I very patiently wrote out, then how do you explain uh, Revelation 6.16, which says that men hid themselves from the wrath of the Lamb. This is near the beginning of the tribulation period. And they hide themselves from the wrath of the Lamb. Number two, the return of Jesus is the main tenet of Christianity, is a main tenet of Christianity. Today, there are people denying the return of Christ. They're not only denying the, the, the rapture or the tribulation period, but they deny the return of Christ. And in order to do that, you have to make a metaphor of everything in the Bible. You, you, if you take things literal, then there is a thousand-year reign. There is a seven-year tribulation. We are taken out beforehand. We've got to be careful the way we handle the Word of God that we are doing what it says. And number three, 
the world looks a lot like the Bible says end times will look like. It might be any day. And so what does God want us doing? Sowing, watering, and God adds the increase. Seeing more people come to Christ. Because the four horsemen haven't been released yet. But they will be. And it will be a time of great devastation when they are. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray. Father, we want to thank you as we take time to look at these four horsemen that you let us know about it beforehand. That we aren't going along blissfully in this world, not realizing that there is a time coming worse than anything this world will ever see or is ever going to see. And Lord, I pray that we would understand that. And I pray for those that are here who don't have things right with you. I pray that they would make them right with you that they would receive you as their Lord, meaning you'll do what you, they'll do what you say, as their Savior, meaning that they receive your death upon the cross and have their sins forgiven, and as a follower of Christ, meaning they become your disciple. And I pray that there would be those who would do that here tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.